Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. Tonight's programme comes to you from the Skipper Show in Limerick, the biggest ever fishing show in Ireland. So for tonight, I'm in the University of Limerick at the Skipper Expo. It's the biggest ever fishing show held in Ireland. We've got dozens and dozens and dozens of exhibitors here. And I'm with the editor of the Skipper magazine, Niall Duffy. Niall, tell me about this show. It's running today and tomorrow. Yeah, it's on for the two days. It's, uh, it's the 16th time that we've had this show. We were previously in Galway. We've moved to a bigger venue now in the University Sports Arena in Limerick. Um, we've uh, the exhibitors have grown, the visitors have grown, so we we're having this event over the two days with 150 exhibitors this year from 15 different countries, and we expect three to three and a half thousand fishermen in through the door to visit the uh, exhibitors this weekend. Okay, it's not quite strictly business to business, but it almost is. These are all people involved in the commercial fishing sector. Yes, it's all people involved in the commercial commercial fishing. It has a, obviously has a social element as well. We often describe this show as the fishing equivalent of the ploughing championships. So we get fishermen from all over the country, take a few days off from fishing, meet up with old friends, renew old acquaintances. But it's also a one-stop shop. If you're trying to buy equipment for a boat, this is the place to come to find what you need from the, the smallest inshore punt to the biggest uh, mackerel trawler in Donegal or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you need a bit for your boat, you'll find somebody here can supply that to you. We're going to go around and we're going to speak to people as we go around. But what are the issues for people in the industry here at the moment? I think the main issue, and it has been for a long time, is quota or lack of access to quota. Um, Obviously, as any business, you rely on the raw material. If your supply of raw material is restricted, it's very hard to grow a business and to increase profits. Uh, historically we've we've had um, an issue with our share out from Europe uh, it's starting to pinch more and more now fuel prices gone up recently have put the squeeze as well mm. it's less economical for a boat to target certain species so but I think it all boils down to and the thing that keeps coming up with us and our readers is that we need more government support and the willingness of uh, the government the minister collective responsibility that this industry needs nurturing it needs a boost it needs to be taken more seriously it needs to be promoted and resourced to let it grow i'm going to speak to the minister charlie mcconnell in just a couple of minutes but buying a trawler investing in something like that it is a huge business decision involving millions of euros it is uh, the average whitefish trawler now we've got a couple coming on screen sorry on stream this year uh, six six and a half million euros a pelagic trawler to target mackerel and herring, you're talking 25 to 30 million. And these are not um, big businesses are buying. These are all family businesses, so it's a family investment. Uh, you'll find like a father and son are fishing a boat they want to grow. The father's trying to bring the son on, give him a future. You're, you're investing in the boat every couple of years. Uh, I mean, like we have the best technology in Ireland. We're innovators. We've given some of the best fishing techniques and fishing equipment exported all over the world so we have the expertise here we have the tools and it's just getting access to that raw material to pay for it all i suppose at the end of the day because there's a saying in fishing every pound or euro or whatever in fishing comes out of the cod end which is the bottom of the net when you haul it in that pays for everything 
even going to see is a big business decision because there is a lot of money and a big investment involved in supplies for the few days and in fuel. Yeah, I mean, like, because the costs start the minute you leave the pier, or even before, uh, obviously with boat insurance and that, but if you load up a vessel now to fish prawns off the west coast on the Porcupine Bank, you're talking of putting maybe €5,000 worth of food on board on top of maybe fifteen to €20,000 worth of diesel, and the crew are relying on a share of the catch. So all that has to be paid for before the crew see a penny. So if bad weather cuts the trip short, if a damaged net cuts the trip short, the crew could actually spend a week at sea and end up owing the boat money. So it's a very precarious living. It's very rewarding if it comes right, but it's, it's, it is a very precarious living. We're going to go around, as I said, and talk to people. Niall Duffy, editor of The Skiffer, thanks very much for talking to me. Thank you, Fergal. Mr. Charlie McConlog, welcome to The Skipper Show. Great to be here, Fergal. Um, first time, I think, in three years, so it's, it's wonderful to actually be able to have everybody in the one place again and um, to see all of the key stakeholders and uh, sectors within the fishing industry here represented and indeed a really, really strong international dimension as well. Um, and uh, looking forward to meeting many of the businesses and, and indeed fishers here over the course of the morning. You and your department get a lot of flack from people here about Ireland's attitude to the common fisheries policy. They say we should take a much harder stand on it. You have set up an advisory group. What's that about? Well... Uh, Throughout my time since I've been appointed, um, I've worked very closely with the sector uh, and its representatives, and I've taken a partnership approach in relation to how we try and grow and support the fishing industry nationally, and that involves working closely together in relation to supporting at domestic level, which obviously is within our control, uh, but also working very closely together then as well in relation to how we fight the battle on behalf of Ireland at European level. Um, and we've had particular challenges, obviously, because Brexit um, has been a real challenge for the fishing industry. It always was from the start when the UK made the decision to leave. Uh, obviously, they had put fisheries as a key objective in relation to their um, reason for leaving, and it really posed a massive challenge to fisheries, and I would have worked closely with the sector to fight to try and uh, protect it from the, the threat that was there from Brexit. Unfortunately, as a result of the, um, the, the trade and cooperation agreement, there is a 15% impact mm. on our national quota. There's impact on other European member states' quotas as well, but not to the same extent that ours is. So I'm working closely with the sector now in relation to seeking to have that redressed at European level, and that un unfair burden that was on us addressed as part of the Common Fisheries Policy Review, and that's why I've set up the committee at national level to advise and work with me in relation to how we give ourselves the best strength and approach possible to try and make progress there. Because your department, your government, preceding governments have always been accused by the industry of not banging the table hard enough when you get to Brussels to negotiate on quotas. It was something which also, to my view, is reflected by the European Fisheries Commissioner when he visited your constituency earlier this year. Yeah, well, I invited him there um, because of the importance of actually having the commissioner come and meet with fishers uh, from across the country. And I think that was a very useful and constructive meeting. But I think I've been very forthright at every EU Council meeting um, uh, from the outset in relation to defending the sector and advocating on its behalf. And indeed have not been found wanting in relation to voting against initiatives at European level uh, where I have not, where, where or I, I felt that we haven't been getting uh, heard properly. And I each time go back and find or case further but what it's going to be an important time ahead now because the common fisheries policy review is due to be finished by the end of this year so it's like i suppose the challenge is 
going back to whenever the Common Fisheries Policy Review was put together at the start, which was in the early 1980s, at that stage there was relative stability established, which basically pinned every member state's fishing activity based on where it was at that point uh, and set allocations. And that hasn't actually changed since the early 80s, despite because while we fight, we've always fought hard in fairness at European level to get that increased, but of course every other member state has been fighting to protect their share. And then you have to do it against the backdrop of actually ensuring that you're not overfishing. So it's within a defined pot and and increasingly as well, that has been uh, based on science, which is important. The Marine Institute here domestically play an important role, as do other other, uh, institutes across Europe in terms of identifying the health of the fish stocks and then setting the amount that can be caught based on ensuring that that stays sustainable. So that obviously puts a limit in relation to the amount of fish that can be caught and then the relative stability as to who catches that. So it's a constant battle, but I can assure you it's one I fight hard in every way I I, I can at European level and work closely with the sector here in relation to identifying how we take, how we approach that strategically to try and maximise our chances of success. We accept that, but you're going to go do a tour of the hall here. You're going to meet people in this industry. The first question they're all going to ask you, can you get us more quota? What are you going to say to them? Well, I'll be fighting tooth and nail for, for more quota and fighting tooth and nail to ensure that the, the Brexit burden is shared fairly and that that's addressed as part of the Common Fisheries Policy Review. Uh, and I, will not, I will, not be found, will not be found wanting at any stage. And I, I think every member state is sick to death of me and they'll get even sicker uh, in terms of listening and seeing me fight for, for our sector to, uh, in terms of a, a better share. But also what's really important, that in terms of the parts of within, inner control within the country, working together as an industry and as a government to actually support the sector. So coming out of Brexit, I established the, um, the, the Brexit Task Force um, t- and brought all of the fisher representatives together to advise on how we can best support and grow and maximise the potential of the sector that we have within the country. Um, and coming out of that, there's uh, €423 million Euro of investment identified to support the the sector through 16 different schemes, one of which, for example, I've announced this morning, which is a €25 million Euro investment uh, in enterprise in coastal areas to support coastal communities, and also across from, from support for fishers to support for processors to support for piers and harbours, for example, investing €35 million Euro this year and next year in small piers and harbours, which is an unprecedented investment. So re- government is really stepping up to the mark in relation to what's within our control to maximise the potential of our fishing industry nationally, and alongside that then, we're fighting that battle, which, as we know, every other member state fights as well, to try and improve our position within the overall European context. Thanks, Minnie, for your time. Thanks, Fergal. Thank you. Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries and the Marine, Charlie McCollum-Logue. I've also been around speaking to some of the exhibitors. Gerard Sullivan, Bear Island Bocha. Tell me something about Bear Island Bocha. Uh, we're a small family-run business, I suppose. We started in 2004. We built uh, a dry dock, 44 metres long, uh, what is it, 44, 15 metres wide. We take the local fishing boats and the work boats and things that are around the area from all around the coast into us. Um, and like that now, it's going away all right. We're happy enough with it. And this is on the island itself, just off Castletown Bear? That's correct, yeah. We're about a mile off, the, mile off Castletown Bear. We're from the island, so we, we went back home. Yeah. It's a great enterprise to have on a relatively small island. Well, it is. You know, we'd be very proud of it, actually, from the perspective of that from an island community, we were always used to going out to the mainland working. Yeah. And for a change, an awful lot of the lads from the, from the outside are coming to us now for a change, making yeah. us a centre as opposed to us exporting people. Okay. We're, hopefully we're importing them now. Yeah. Just looking around the photographs we have here at your exhibition, you've got a dry dock. 
Well, what it does is we open the, we let the water in, we open the two doors. At full tide, yeah? Yeah, float the boats in, close the doors, pump out the water. It's a very good system because we, we're not weight restricted. We did this, we started this about 20 years ago. We worked in Castledown in the sinker lift and at that time we saw that the boats were getting bigger and the sinker lift wasn't able to take them. Okay. So we had to do something, otherwise the boats were going abroad. Mm. So this is this is stopping, or not stopping, but helping to stop boats going abroad. And we do a lot of work from Spanish vessels and things that are around us as well. So this, okay. this what is kind open. of work do you do there typically? We do a lot of painting and sandblasting, anything, fabrication, yeah. engine repairs. I see you propeller repairs there or replacements. Yeah, and we do whatever. We're the one-stop shop for a boat. This is like an NCT for a boat. When they come into the like a car, when you stop once a year, they stop once a year, and they're stopped for a week or two weeks, and then they need to cram everything they can into that. So the more services you give, the more they'll do. What size boats can you take? We take anything up to 44 metres. Which is as big as you get off the Irish coast? No, there's bigger boats. There's mm. actually bigger boats in the coast, but we're, that's what we are. I suppose constantly the boats are getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. You know, If we were going again, we'd maybe make it another 10 metres longer, but here we are. Are there challenges to you running a business like this on an island? We don't see them as challenges. Someone from outside, maybe... Um, I suppose the biggest problem is logistics, trying to get stuff in though. But we're very lucky now because we're living in one of the one of the most the best service islands in the coast. We have a couple of good roll on rafts. We can take, we can we have no problem with cargo or, or people or anything. Yeah, so we're okay. we're doing and you're very. Re- you're not weather dependent. There, yeah. you're fairly sheltered. We're actually that's we're probably very unique in the place that we have. We have it. It's a cover dock. It's one of the only ones in the country that's covered. So we yeah. can work. We can work all the time. How many people do you employ there? I suppose about eighteen. Is it eighteen or twenty people? Yeah. Fantastic. Look, the best of luck in the future. And thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Nice talking to you. Niels, can I ask you to introduce yourself to me? Tell me about your company. Yes, I'm I'm Niels from Atlantic Shipping from Denmark. We are fishing ship uh, brokers, and we basically we do uh, purchase and sales of uh, fishing vessels. You seem to be one of the biggest in Europe. Yes, I believe we are. We are probably the leading in in the world actually in uh, in, in fishing ships. You, you have, you're surrounded here with photographs of all these big trawlers for sale. What are we looking at here? Well, we have uh, we have various fishing vessels for sale. We have uh, we have a lot of pelagic vessels, which is our, I would say our our, pre- our primary uh, vessels that that we're selling the most of. And we also have a lot of uh, wet fish trawlers, prawn trawlers uh, for sale on. Uh, and we have brought a lot of them uh, with us here to uh, to the expo, and then at some other we also have uh, a little bit of freezer trawlers uh, and some long lining vessels and some gill netters. Okay. And yeah. You have supply platform vessels, yes. which could become important here in this country when we move to offshore energy very shortly. Okay. Yeah. Well, we we focus primarily on everything which is is related to fish and we have sold lately a couple of platform supply vessels not for the energy sector but actually for fish farming salmon farming primarily in uh, Norway where they convert them to uh, cleaning vessels uh, de-lysing uh, loose they take yeah. off the lice on the on the fish and such so uh, but but yeah the market for supply vessels has uh, has definitely uh, the prices has gone up on the vessels lately. Yeah, and I think it's going to go up more. Let's talk about some of these. What's a pelagic trawler? Well, the pelagic trawlers are primarily uh, vessels that trawls for pelagic fish, such as mackerel, blue whiting, 
repairing, uh, etc. And most of the vessels that we use here in uh, our part of the world, in, in Europe, it's uh, they have these vessels. They have tanks. Uh, so when you catch, when you pump on board the fish after you caught them, you put them into chilled seawater where you keep them until you land them to your factory. Uh, okay, so they're not frozen. They're almost completely fresh. They're completely fresh. They take them into into the tanks, which is uh, minus one degree. And then they are yeah. Then they are fresh in the tanks. Okay. So what size then are these ships, these trawlers? Well, they they uh, they come. Our pelagic trawlers are between twenty meters and up to eighty, ninety are the biggest. So they have capacity from a hundred tons of uh, fresh fish up to three and a half, three and a half thousand tons, basically. Okay. I'm interested in a chore, a small chore. Sell me one here. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I would, uh, we have the yellow one, a, a Danish, a Danish vessel which has been. They are actually out now, just west of Kielbeks, catching okay. blue, okay. blue whiting, and they have been very successful all, all, all the time in since it was built in 2006. Okay, so it's a pelagic trawler built 2006 Denmark. It has a whole capacity of. 2,300 square meters, and the cost is 19 million euros. Yes, yes, yes. We, yeah, of course, that's uh, it's it's a highest price tag, but uh, they have uh, they have been very very successful with these vessels every year. They have been they have good quotas. They have been catching very well, and it's an ongoing vessel. It's it has yeah it has worked so well for them. For, so it's a it's a good investment if you have a good quota package. Okay. Okay. So you'd be to buy something like this, you'd be borrowing on the strength of your quota. Yeah. 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 I, I would say so. I would say so. And also, depending on now, we see in, in Europe that uh, some quotas has gone down, uh, lower capacities. But we also see for many species that the prices has gone up, and this has kept uh, this has kept the value uh, in fishing going for for many many boat owners. That's been very positive. Okay, sell me something smaller. You've got one here, built 1975 Netherlands. Try offer above one million. Yes. Well, this is well. This is a vessel that you. It's it's cheap to run. Uh, if if you you of course it's it's made for smaller. If you have a smaller quota, she's uh, it's an Irish vessel, and uh, she has been. Uh, I think she has been catching in Ireland uh, very successfully for for all of all the years since she was built. Actually, how's business in this? Uh, trading of trawlers in, in this broking business? Right now we see uh, it, well I can say that through, throughout the past years I've, I would say it has been uh, it's been an okay business. Uh, there's been many deals. Uh, we sell uh, second hand vessels mainly and uh, there's been built a lot of new vessels uh, which has come into the market and then of course that gives us the opportunity to sell the second hand vessels. Uh, and because a lot of new vessel has, vessels has been built lately, we have had uh, a lot of vessels to sell, and that has actually been it has been okay. Um, what we can see now is that uh, with the increase of the fuel price, everything is uh, it's not going as as quick as it has been, uh, and people they are holding back on on their investment and and seeing well where is the fuel price going. And we can see that this uh, this is affecting the market uh, a lot. Okay, look, thanks to me. Best of luck at the show. Thanks a lot. It was uh, great talking to you. Okay.
Lee Mooney. You're here with Mooney Boats at Shipyard in Donegal. Tell me about the business. The business is based in Killybegs in Donegal, a family business. We have about 80 people employed at the moment. Um, mainly repair work for the fishing industry and new builds. We have two new builds at the moment being built for two Irish customers. They're due for delivery later this year. There's about 40 or 50 guys working on them and there's a lot of other local companies involved in the project. Many boats couldn't do it on their own. We have the likes of Sequest, KAR, Barry Electronics, MMG, EK Marine, all the local companies in Killybegs involved. And it's a, it's a massive employment boost for the northwest region. It, it is a um, great achievement to have a big business like this in an area like Donegal. Uh, yes, uh, like Kelly Beggs would be the main employer and then and, and in our area. But the fishing industry is the driver. Like, and um, we also have the repair side of the business, um, which is the, the sinker lift, which is owned by the Department of the Marine. But... You know, all the fashion trawlers come up in it and we work on it. Pull shafts, washing, painting, shot blasting, carpentry work, fiberglass work. Everything. Everything, everything. Okay. Um, but, you know, the fashion industry has gone through a difficult period at the moment, but our customer base is excellent. Uh, great rapport with them. I'm quite positive about the industry at the moment. and we Even though they're facing into huge increases in fuel. Huge increases in fuel, but... I think there's ways out there that we can make the boats more efficient and, you know, hopefully help from BAM and other government bodies that will increase fuel efficiency in the boats and help out the owners of grants, etc. Um, I think it'll be a great bonus to the industry and, and the fishermen need it at the moment. Yeah. And it's not only the fishermen, them grants are a knock-on effect to all our businesses and create employment in the area, which is, is vital, you know. Can I ask you about the new builds you're building? You, you've pictures of them over here, two very large boats. Yeah, they're two new vessels. One's for um, Eric Murphy from Castletown and Donald O'Neill from Castletown also. Um, Eric Murphy's is Alan Crone and Donald's is the Sparkling Star. They're 31 metre trawlers. Um, the boys are replacing existing boats that they have. It's a huge financial investment for them, two owners, and... Uh, you know, they were, them boats were ordered a couple of years ago. We got the hulls built in Poland. We towed them home, and now we're outfitting them. But the, it's a huge investment for the guys, as I've said a few minutes ago. But it's going to be difficult for them. And yeah. I just, I think, I'll, hopefully, fuel prices will come down. They need more quota. That's the big one. The boats need more mm. quota. I'm not going to speak monetary terms, but that's a huge investment. But it, it is like, it, and if for them and for everybody, it is a big business investment, a huge business investment. It's the same as buying an office block, really. Yeah, it's the same thing, and we have another one there on order. Um, the new uh, Wavecrest for uh, Anthony Sheehy and Barrick Point Limited. Um, her hull's due to us later this year, and she'll be completed next year. And a similar-sized vessel to Eric and Donald's. But again, it's a huge financial commitment for them owners, and I, I, I just take my hat off to them as a credit to them that they're taking this on at this stage. You know, how do these boats differ now from ones that maybe 10, 15, 20 years old? Ah, uh, well, the machinery on them is a lot more um, updated. Uh, the propeller on them, two new ones for Eric and Donald, are 3.4 meter propellers. They'll be much more fuel efficient. Okay, so that's bigger than you and me put together. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> much, much bigger. They're huge propellers. Um, the, 
the fish fighting equipment, the hydraulics that Sequest providing, everything's more modernised. They'll be much more streamlined and efficient. Um, but the running costs would be the big one. We're hoping to reduce their fuel costs by quite a margin on these vessels. Best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. And that's what we have time for this evening. Thanks for listening and thanks to everybody at the Skipper Expo in Limerick University. The show runs again tomorrow and it is open to the public. That's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme's podcast is on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. And if you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe.